0: Day. It's Dan Richo and Sati Arshaw in the mobile Kintec studio, Kintec footwear and orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. We are here at Save on Foods Arena. Just wrapped up. Day one of training camp, Sat. Yeah,
1: man. Day one is over. Uh, we, uh, we've we been able to record some interviews with a few players throughout the day. And uh, we got to lead off with this because I, I can't heap it in any longer. But the unthinkable happened. What's that? I, I didn't expect this because I always made fun of you. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, what I'll are we stop talking whole, about? Stop the whole Italian thing. Oh, but okay. we got confirmation today that... Phil Giuseppe, and we'll play the interview coming up a bit later. Uh, he really Di- likes. I'm sorry, you're right. Number one, he's he's all on board your your pronunciation, and I've never seen a player and a member of the media hit it off <laughs> as well as Dan Riccio and Phil Giuseppe hit it off today. I mean, find somebody who looks at you and somebody who blushes at you the way Di Giuseppe and Dan Riccio. <laughs> Uh, we're interacting ahead of our interview. They had five minutes of just, you know, yep. just shooting the you-know-what. Yep. I just sat there in awe <laughs> looking at you two guys chop it up.
0: Uh, I'll just say at Batch Hockey is where you could find uh, the initial picture. There's been some memes floating around and everything else as well since the interview happened. But, uh, hey, man, when you get a couple of Vaughn boys get, getting uh, chopping it up about their, their it uh, things can get pretty wild. There so. was quite
1: a bit of overlap. Like yeah. There was, like, you know, you guys were talking about having the same team. Teachers and and knowing the same people and friends in different areas. Like, I was just like, this is a blast from the past. It was like, you guys are two kindred
0: spirits finally coming together. If only we had more time to talk about uh, all the great (laughs) Italian joints we love uh, to hit up in Toronto and Vancouver. But uh, you got to check that. I mean, I
1: can't wait for you guys to hear that interview. uh, Great interview, but honestly, just reach into PDG.
0: Yeah, it's coming up later today. We got so much content uh, that uh, we've um, done throughout the day. And uh, we spoke with. Phil DiGiuseppe, we spoke with JT Miller, we spoke with Thatcher Demko, Carson Susi, Arshdeep Baines. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been uh, able to to get quite a few interviews and, and even Sergey Gonchar, Canuck's associate coach. So uh, there's there's a lot coming uh, over the next couple of days, and we're here all the way up through till Saturday afternoon. So we'll have a ton on the podcast channel, Canuck Central. Find it on your favorite podcast or subscribe. That way you don't miss any of this and especially uh, the interview with Phil DiGiuseppe. Can't miss. <laughs> the video might even be better than uh, what was actually happening during the interview, but that's neither here nor there. Okay. Day one of camp. The biggest thing about day one of camp, group one we see Nils Hoglander start with Elias Pettersson and Andre Kuzmenko. In Group 2, we see Vasily Podkolzin with J.T. Miller and Brock Besser. They have been two of the players we've talked about so much over the last couple of weeks in the lead-up to camp, getting a prime opportunity here on Day 1.
1: Yeah, big opportunity. And... We talk so much about how this team needs a couple of forwards to emerge. You know, you have Kuzmenko, you have Besser hopefully finding his game, but with McKay about, and we don't know when he comes back. And, you know, guys like Pavilion being on a one-year deal, we're not sure how how Garland fits here long-term. Pavilion being an expiring contract at the end of the the season. Like, who's a long-term solution here? Ideally, you want to see Hoaglander and or put Coles one or both really seize that and, and have that internal growth happen. And it would solve so many problems and issues for this team. And for them to get the first look, I think you look at it a couple of different ways. But I do think taking it earnestly, you're giving those two guys a chance right off the bat to seize that opportunity. And it really is up to them now to see if they can stick in the top six.
0: It's... Their opportunity to lose right now, right? That's uh, sort of the takeaway on day one. What have we talked about over the last couple of days? You know, pay attention to some of the first duos and pairings and line matchups that we get because, you know, that might be the coaches telling us something that they want to see if it can work and it's something they've thought about over the last couple of weeks and over the course of the summer. It's really hard to evaluate on day one, Sat, but... You know, there was some things I didn't like from Hoaglander, and there was some things that uh, I didn't like from Vasily Podkolzin as well. But it is just one day of camp.
1: I'd say, you know, day one, you're right Uh – there's was a couple of moments you could see, you know, talk at stop and Colesen and was telling him kind of what to do on some of the drills. I would say today's drills were really based on like structure, mm-hmm. right? Some of the transition structure, D zone structure, how to play off the wall. There wasn't a ton of, you know, actual three on three or four on four or five on five play or was a lot of teaching today. It was right. So I think it's, it's kind of, it's hard to o- assess each individual too much, I think today, yeah. but I do think it's, instructive to see how these duos shake out. And you're right. something talking himself mentioned. The duos are what we're trying to establish here. We build out the duos. And from there, we'll see who the third guy on each line fits out. And if you start going through the duos, it seemed like with a forward group here, Dan, they had like five
0: sets of duos. Yeah. Uh, the obvious ones would be Patterson and Kuzmenko, Miller and Besser. Um, Oman and Joshua remain together today then you would start to wonder, Suter and Garland, is that something that Tockett might see as a duo moving forward? Bluger, Beauvillier, is that something we could see as a duo moving forward? That's, uh, I I think, at least in the forward group, those were some of the duos that I think made the most sense. There's also five of those that I just mentioned, so we could see how it's not really all going to work out for the the NHL club.
1: Yeah, and it's a bit of a battle. You you have five players, you have five duos to see... Okay, who, Who? I mean, we know who the top two are, right? You mentioned Pedersen and the one with uh, Pedersen and Kuzmenko and, and Besser and, and Miller. Like, that's your top six kind of setup. We expect Bluger to play the middle, right? Yeah. Does Suter ultimately play center? Yeah. You have Niels Oman. I think that one's going to be interesting. It's, we know Joshua is going to be on the team, right? But we also kind of wonder is it going to be Joshua playing, uh, sorry, is it going to be Oman playing center? Or is a suitor going to be on the wing? And I think Oman's the guy that can kind of be the be the, be the kind of the make weight guy. Does he make the team? Because if he does, it's easy to shift suitor out. But if they yeah. feel like he's not ready to take that step or be part of the team, then you have suitor as a center. So I wonder how much of having Oman and Joshua is to see, okay, can this actually be something here? And suitor has the experience and the versatility to play wing or center.
0: Yeah. The thing with Oman, I mean, you know, he. Kind of burst onto the scene last year. Didn't really expect too much from him. And then he makes a team out of camp. Starts well, hits a bit of a wall, has to go down to Abbotsford, comes back and starts to play well again towards the end of the season. But if you look at the numbers, there was some struggle there uh, when the Canucks were on the ice with, with Nils Oman. I, I mean, through the summer, I always, like, when they made the signings of both Bluger and Souter, it's like, okay, I have a good sense of who the Canucks' four centermen are going to be to start the season. I don't know if I've shifted my thinking too much after day one of camp, but it's it seems knows Oman is going to be more a part of that conversation than I had anticipated before camp started. That's what it does seem like. Now, I do think that's where the competition part is going to come in, yeah.
1: right? And I think with Oman, because you can send him down easily, is really going to be, is he ready to be on this team or do we send him down to Abbotsford to work it out? But based on how Oman and Joshua clearly had some chemistry last season, it was interesting to see those guys kind of yeah. come together. But I think that's 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 going to be the thing we're going to have to find out here. We know what the duos are, at least for the time being. Which one of those duos gets broken up and who shifts over to the wing from center? And having that flexibility and versatility, I think, is a good thing for your forward group because you have you know, four or five guys that can play center and two or three of them that can also play wing easily. So have you can have the interchanging facets for it. We started things off talking about put Colzen and Hoaglander. Yeah. How long can they stick there? you get the first chance... In day one, And like I mentioned earlier, there's a positive way of looking at it and saying, hey, you're getting the shot right off the bat. And they're clearly empowering you and giving you a chance to seize the opportunity. Some of it is, also is you're getting the first chance to show it. And if you don't show it, it's like, OK, well, that's why you can't do it. So it's like I think not to say there's a lot of pressure, but I do think there is I'm eager to see if those guys can stick. Through the next couple of days, especially when we get to the preseason, are they able to seize that opportunity? Because I think them getting the chance right away, and like Talk had mentioned, is more about the duos. But we want to see who can fit as that third guy.
0: And the wonder, too, with Hoaglander, uh, Ilya Mikheyev, as uh, day one of camp started today, the Canucks sent out a release or a note that Ilya Mikheyev had left training camp for personal reasons. Uh, his agent saying, um, it's nothing too serious, should be back in a few days. We know his recovery from the ACL injury is still a bit of a process, and he wasn't going to be full go here as camp started anyhow. But we've always known the Canucks would like to get back to, or the feeling has always been the Canucks would like to get back to Pettersson, Kuzmenko, and Mikheyev. Mm-hmm. So it almost puts extra pressure on Hoglander to really seize these few days yes. because his spot could be gone the minute Ilya Mikheyev is is here anyhow. Yeah. And I mean, and
1: this isn't the first or second camp these guys have been here for. Yeah. Right. And, you know, Hoaglander's had a chance in the past too, and hasn't been able to really stick. And he's had some good moments. This is the best opportunities he's had. Yeah. And considering the fact that he has a two year deal, and I don't anticipate that he would go on waivers or anything, but it's, it's kind of like show us this year, whether you're a guy or not. And if you're not, it's going to be a, you know, it could be a problem here. And, that's one of the things on Colson where you have a bit more runway with him. Whereas with Putkol- with Hoaglander, if you don't feel like he's ready, he's a 13 forward. Yeah. And it's like, where does he fit if he's not playing in your top six? With Colson if he's ready to go, you're like, fantastic. Yeah. You know, we have a guy that can play in our top six, middle six. He can do different things for us. He can be a guy that takes a step. But if he's not quite there, you have the luxury of sending him down to start the season in Abbotsford. And it's interesting because we're going to play a, a, a conversation with JT Miller l- uh, later on. And JT, has always, has been one of the bigger boosters for Vasily Colson But it comes back to the same thing we've always talked about with him. Does he have the confidence to just go out and play? Yeah. Because even, you know, you're right. It's only the skate today. But it's clear that he, you see him still be tentative time mm-hmm. to time. And how does he get away, get up? A- grow out of that yeah. and be less tentative and be more forceful in how he takes the
0: game on. You know, there was a simple moment. Uh, they're doing one of their uh, offensive zone drills. In that line, Pod Colson Miller and Besser is out there and a puck gets rimmed around down low for Pod Colson and he's he mishandles it off the boards and it just goes around and, you know, the play's dead. Right. And then it happens again on the same sequence and... Simple things like picking the puck up off the boards, you know, and then after the drill is done, you see him stare up into the rafters and, oh, man, I screwed up again sort of thing. And and those are, you know, that's something you don't want to see. And obviously it's a young guy that – really wants to seize his opportunity. So still some things that Pod Colson has to work through, which obviously we already knew coming into camp. And with Hoaglander, you know, the, the question I have as we get deeper into camp and we start to see uh, scrimmages and get into some of the actual preseason games, like, is the shot more threatening? Especially mm-hmm. if you're going to play in a big spot, like you're going to get some opportunities playing next to Elias Petterson. Are you going to be able to take those opportunities? And, and that's going to be the big part of it. I do think just in terms
1: of uh, how the line can function, it's the right role for him yeah. on that line because he is clearly F1. He will be the first forward in on the forecheck because Kuzmenko is not really the forecheck. You know, not, not that guy, pal. He's, he's not, not that, that guy. guy. But he does a lot of great things and he can win battles, but he's not the first guy in on the forecheck. I have we've spoken about this before. I have questions about how effective Hoaglander can be if he's not F one in terms of being able to play a structure. Because I think F one is like just get into the just get into the offensive zone, get the puck along the boards or uh, behind the net, whatever it is, and just get possession and, and get it going one of his better traits. And he's fine with that, right? If you get him to a position where he has to think about which lane to take and how to support the puck and how to support the F1 and F2, I think that's where he starts getting a bit confused, or at least it's not as natural as his game plays. So I do see a pathway where it's like, you're right, he has to score. But because Patterson can score, because Kuzmenko can score, how much can you retrieve pucks, and how much chaos can you create with your effort level, with your forechecking ability, and even with some of your playmaking skills? Because I do wonder: like, is he a great playmaker? No, he's okay. Is he a great goal scorer? No, he's got some talent, but not a great shot. But he is—he can be relentless with his puck pursuit, and he can be really good at coming away with pucks. And if you're able to be that guy on that line, and be able to be smart enough and offensive enough to play off those guys as a third forward, like there is a real chance for him to have a little bit of success and doesn't have to be going to score a bunch of points is can you still do that role? It's almost like, can you be a poor man's Mikaev to some extent? Mikaev clearly has more size, more strength, more speed, and more overall defensive awareness and two-way ability. He might have a more dangerous shot too. He, yes. However, you can still do a lot of the things in the offensive zone in terms of getting the puck that Mikheyev can do. So I do see a pathway for that line to work.
0: If Hoganander can really be that guy, uh, question coming into the Dunbar lumber text message in box six fifty six fifty is Bluger and Phil DiGiuseppe, Giuseppe the duo rather than Bluger and Bovillier uh, I guess that is a, a bit of a question mark you know both um, I think both Bovillier and Phil DiGiuseppe Giuseppe can move. Up and down the lineup. Oh, yeah. Would it shock me to see if Pod Colson doesn't seize the opportunity with Miller and Besser? Would it shock me to see Phil DiGiuseppe back there, who had a lot of success towards the end of the se- season with those players? It would not shock me at all. And even Beauvillier, could he move back up with Pedersen and Kuzmenko because we saw them have success together last
1: year? 100%. I think the, the two two fallbacks you have, especially as long as McCabe is still out, That you can go to to your top six is your boy PDG, just kind of going back and playing with you know you know you've done that you can live with it. And you mentioned Bavilia, you can play on that top line. So I think you would prefer to be able to have more depth in your lineup to have a to have a four line team. And this is something we talked about a couple weeks back that if you can have the luxury of having Garland and Bavilia in your bottom six on separate lines, and then having four lines you can roll out there. I I know people like why are you putting Bavilia on the fourth line? To me, I don't view it that way. I view it as okay, you are going four lines, you are gonna have pretty even split when it comes to five-on-five play outside of your top line, obviously. I love that idea of, of being able to have that type of depth. But the only way you can have that depth is if Colson and Hoagland, or at least one of them, really sees that chance. Because I think if those guys don't, what we're going to see is Bevilia goes to the top six, and most likely PDG goes and fills that spot until McCabe comes back. And then you have Bevilia and McCabe as your top six left-wingers, right? You'd rather be able to split those guys down but I do think the reason they didn't start with those guys there is like they feel pretty good as if we have to go back to that, we will. But we'd rather see somebody else go so we can lengthen our lineup.
0: Now, the other thing, final thing on the forward lines before we move to some of the defensemen and what we saw on that side of the ice today One of the surprises was Arsteep Baines getting a look with Pugh Suter and Connor Garland. Yeah, and based on what we saw at at
1: the Young Stars tournament and kind of how the team fared, it would have been easy to assume that Aidan McDonough perhaps would have gotten a a chance to maybe play with with a Suter or even a Teddy Bluger or whatever. But I think because of his lack of experience, though, he showed a lot of positivity. But is he better off just making this team and playing some games and getting sent out or be part of camp, you know, get us some chances, go down, spend 20, 30, 40 games, and once it becomes clear, maybe then you come back up. Whereas Arshdeep Baines had a solid season, had a good off season, looked really good at young stars. I think it makes more sense if you're giving one of the young guys a look for Archdeep Baines to be that guy that gets that, gets that look right now. And I don't know if he's going to break with the team, but I think it, it's a bit of a carrot for him for the amount of work he's done and how much progress he has made over the
0: past year. He is, um, I think he's very much on the radar for NHL games this year. Yes. Uh, and, and it's pretty obvious, given he gets put in this spot today, he makes a lot of smart plays. Like, with the puck, he, he, you know, unpredictable a little bit, and, you know, plays that are, I mean, they're more winning plays. You know, he plays a very smart, clean game, and I think that's one thing they really like about our Steve Baines. On defense, the surprise that, well, when we saw the groups come out this morning, um, in the first group, it was Ian Cole and Philip Heronik, And then the second group was Hughes and Susie. So we, at least my initial thought was, okay, we'll see Hughes with Susie and we'll see Cole with Heronik. It didn't end up working that way because Susie ended up with Joel McWart. Yeah. And... It was Hughes with Noah Julson in Group 2. So something to keep an eye on there, but something we've talked about since Ian Cole signed, the po- the possibility of him playing with Philip Hironik.
1: Yeah, and that, I think in theory, you're putting together your two best defensive defensemen, and, and Hironik's a good two-way defender, but putting them together, I think, gives you a strong potential foundation as being your go-to Matchup pair. Yeah. And being the pair you throw out there for a lot of the defensive zone face offs and a lot of tough minutes, the question ultimately comes down to what type of defenseman is the best to partner with Philip Peronic? Is it a defensive D man type like an Ian Cole? Is it a guy who moves the puck a bit better? If you're looking for a better puck mover, outside of putting Hughes next to him, there aren't a ton of options. Yeah. And I think. Because of what Quinn has done, and because I think Adam Foote was very impressed with Noah Juleson, and I think the team was impressed with how he played, I think they're intrigued by the idea of, can Hughes elevate Juleson, and can Juleson be a late enough bloomer that he can kind of do some of the things Luke Shen did, mm-hmm. plus being a better, better skater, and kind of be that type of guy. And if he can be, well, you want to talk about you know finding you know some gold out of nothing, it yeah. can be. And this is the time for you to to test, uh, test this stuff out. But they don't really have outside of Wolanin and yeah. Jack Rathbone. And Jack Rathbone, based on who he was playing with, Philip Johansson, you know, well, you know, I think he has a lot of work to do to get up. But I don't know if they have a two-way puck-moving defender of that ilk right now to try with Heronik. So I think the best way to go about it is see if he can
0: work out with, with Cole. Um, a lot to take away from you know, some of those things. Cole, you're going to want to hear... Ian Cole, on playing with Philip Peronik. Uh, that'll come up a little bit later on when we speak with Ian Cole. Now, Carson Susie uh, with Joel McWard, uh, or sorry, Cole McWard. Um, I was I was a little bit surprised. Um, not just because I expected to see Susie with either uh, Hughes or maybe even Myers, and Guillaume Brisebaugh ended up with Myers today, but What does it say about McWard that he's playing with a guy that the Canucks just signed to a three-year deal? I think it
1: shows that they believe in him. Not necessarily that he's going to break camp, but his name has come up a few times. If you ask some of the people with the team off 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 air about hey some of the guys like his name comes up and rick talkett's been really mentioning cole cole mcward's name a few times and how impressed he was with them so i think they see they've seen more than maybe us on the outside have seen in terms of his chances of making this team because i don't think it's insignificant that him and susie get a chance together because you can look at it and say well where does myers fit in on this because myers and brisebois were also a duo on the back end today but it's kind of like the same thing of putting guys in positions to have success. Carson Soucy is coming to a new team. He's a guy who can play the right side, but you're trying to get him to come in and be a longer-term fixture. Does it make more
0: sense to ease him into a role that's more comfortable as
1: opposed to asking him to do something bigger?
0: So those are some thoughts on day One of camp. We'll have plenty more as camp goes on. We'll have plenty of interviews as well with players, coaches, and otherwise. But the biggest story today Elias Patterson. The PD thing? Um, the PD thing, uh, who was very happy to meet Roger Federer, which we found out.
1: Yeah. Um, he was very engaging in our, like, just, you know, shooting the breeze discussion. It wasn't on air.
0: <laughs> no. Uh, but but very, uh, very happy to meet Roger Federer uh, as part of the Labor Cup. And we saw that video yesterday uh, from the Canucks account. But... Everybody was waiting to hear Elias Pedersen talk about his contract situation. We hadn't heard from him. He didn't speak at any of the captain's skates. Doesn't have to speak at any of the captain's skates. He didn't speak at the Milford. Doesn't have to speak at the Milford. This was the first day that Elias Pedersen had media veils to do. And here's what he had to say about his contract situation with the Vancouver Canucks. It's
2: not a distraction. Uh, you guys make it a distraction. Uh... Got one more year left. Uh, I'm happy now, but I just want to focus on uh, uh, the season, uh, my teammates, and uh, just uh, come up with a good start with the team.
0: What do you want to see from the organization? Like what, what are the key factors in your decision in terms of eventually wanting to sign an extension? Because we all assume that money's going to be there.
2: I don't um, I'm say here, to play to win. I got one year left in my contract. Um, yeah, that's all I want to say.
0: So is it just about winning, or is there more about the organization and just kind of how it handles itself and things like that? Is it?
2: Or is it just I'm excited being? for the season.
0: There is Elias Patterson doing his best uh, Marshawn Lynch impression. It was almost like <laughs>
1: I'm just here so I don't get fined. It was very, it was very remin- reminiscent of that. The one thing I would say, because I saw Tones mentioning, he's like, you know, maybe Petey's always stoic. Like he seems like a guy who's not very happy. Yes, if you watched the, you know, the scrum or whatever, but like we mentioned, before he did the scrum, we were just kind of, you know, off the record, just kind of chatting with him, table side, he wasn't on air with us, he was laughing, chill, whatever. Yeah. Like, he didn't seem like a guy who was like upset or angry or just, disc-, you know, a, a malcontent walking yeah. up, but w- clearly he didn't want to say too much, yeah. and clearly he was, I don't know, told, but I think he had an idea of what to say, and he kept trying to stay to that message. It came off as Kurt. I think it came off as dismissive to some degree. It came off as somewhat combative because he's like, "Well, you guys are making a story, which it's not unfair because we ask the questions. We, you know, we write about things, we talk about things. Yeah, we're the obviously fans are
0: worried about losing the team's best player, arguably.
1: Chicken or the egg, right? Yeah. It's like, why do we talk about this? Like, well, the fans want to hear it, and it's like, well, why do you talk? Why the fans are, are hearing it because you're talking about it. Regardless, the point being, it's fair, whatever, right? I don't get the sense that it was. I get the sense that he was trying to not say too much and then it came off as being very dismissive. Yeah. And I think what's clear, which we've all kind of known here, they're all waiting to see how things go, you know, and and if things go well, there shouldn't be an issue here. Yeah. But how many times have we talked about, Hey, things are hopefully going to go well and then they go not so well. Yeah, And then we end up in the same spot we've been in before having this existential crisis about where this organization is kind of going. And I think that's, the thing they want to kind of get over. the hump. If there's a hump, I think the organization hopes to get over. And I think a guy like Pedersen would hope to get over. It's the, do we just not crap the bed? Yeah. You know, can we get through the first couple months of the season and be, you know, you know a team that's doing something of significance? And I think that would kind of ease the pressure a bit. Because I think we don't try to say too much. It's because you don't want to be like, oh, yeah, everything's great. I'm going to sign here. And then things go awry, and then that doesn't happen. So that's how I see it. But I think it's also a bit of a sign for... Why he's not the captain of the team, like why he's not going to be the guy that's going to be out consistently addressing issues. It's uncomfortable for him, and I don't think he does very well in those circumstances, generally speaking.
0: It's, um, you know, for me, people are going to continue talking about this, but nothing has really changed for me on the Patterson situation. It's obvious he wants to be part of a winning organization, and I think there is a want for him to prove that he is worthy of one of the top five, six, seven, eight contracts in the entire National Hockey League. Because that's what he's lining up for if he has another big season. Stan Riccio and Satiar Shaw, keep your texts and questions coming into the program. A lot is coming your way. We've gotten a ton of content through the course of the afternoon here in Victoria that's coming up next on Canucks Central. Everything
1: Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Canucks Central in the mobile Kintex studio. That's right. We are in Victoria. And we are taking in Canucks training camp. Day one is... In the books, uh, we've got a ton of interviews coming up for you. Uh, Ian Cole, Phil DiGiuseppe as part of our interviews in this segment, including Thatcher Demko. First, we're going to go to Ian Cole here, sat, and it's, yeah. um, it's pretty clear he's going to be one of the easiest guys to talk to on this team. Yeah, not only, you know what,
1: uh, this is something that has been a bit of a trend, and we'll see how much this translates to actual success on the ice, but... They've they've added a few guys now who seem to be not only intelligent in terms of how they play, but also very intelligent in how they communicate. And not just for the media, because that's great for us. We talk to guys that are able to speak. But he's the type of guy that you can see is going to be very good at communicating with his teammates and being able to relay messages very effectively as well. So when I see somebody who's a good communicator, fantastic for us. But that can be a real positive in terms of the communication on the ice and also off the ice with a, with a team that has a number of players that may need a voice that they can lean on and have something that can really, you know, I wouldn't say get on the guys, yeah. but be somebody who's, who's a real voice and isn't afraid to speak up and tell guys what they need to do. And I don't mean negatively necessarily, but just being somebody there who, who's able and eager to do all those things.
0: Well, one thing I will say about Cole before we get to the interview, he's been... Jim Rutherford brought him into Pittsburgh. They win cups, you know, and, and he was a big part of those cup-winning teams. His whole career, he's basically played with playoff clubs, whether it was St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Colorado, on and on down the road. The last few years, he's jumped around from team to team. Now, norm, like, sometimes you might think that's that's a bad sign for a guy. Like, why isn't one team really sticking with him? But it's like he went to Minnesota perennial playoff team he was in carolina perennial playoff team tampa bay last year and now a team that's hoping to be a perennial playoff team towards building a stanley cup contender like the things he does are valued by good teams in this league. yes and i think that's something to keep in mind when thinking about ian cole without further ado let's hear from one of the newest canucks defensemen here is ian cole Dan Richo Shah here at uh, training camp in Victoria, and sitting with us tableside is uh, New Canucks defenseman Ian Cole. How's it going, Ian? It's going pretty well, guys. How are you doing? We're doing well. First day of camp. You're kind of a vet at this now. How much? Uh, how much different is it now than it was early in your career?
3: Um, it is different. It is different. It's um, you know, I think there's still a little bit of. Uh, not necessarily nervousness, but like excitement. Kind of like a little bit of anxiety, like yeah. ready to get going. It's been, you know, by the end of summer, you're ready to, you know, kind of get get back in the swing of things. But, you know, I think when you're early on, you're just trying to figure out what the systems are, or what am I supposed to be doing? What am I was doing out there. Things are going so fast. Uh, you know, by by year fourteen, things kind of slow down. You know, you can kind of do the really quick thirty second. Yeah. Hey, what are you doing in the D zone. We're mm-hmm. we're in the neutral zone. We're doing in the O zone. And, you know, I've been on enough teams, played with enough coaches hey that I've pretty much done every every system that so they could throw. So um, usually it's a pretty quick and transition and dive. kind of know right away what you're doing. And unfortunately, in that same vein for me, uh, I had talk in Pittsburgh. So a lot of it uh, similar and carries over. So uh, it hasn't been uh, too steep of a learning curve, which, you know, kind of, uh, kind of makes it nice. Well, and obviously we know a lot of the
1: guys have been here early skating. How much has that kind of helped with guys being familiar ahead of camp?
3: Yeah, no, I think it helps a lot. I think it helps a lot. I mean, um, you know, we hadn't done any systems or, uh, you know, actual tactics or anything. But even just getting to know the guys, getting to know their personalities, how they work and... Sorry, I was a protein (laughs) shake. But, you know, just getting the personalities and just kind of seeing them on the ice, how they move, kind of what they look for. I mean, seeing how... You know, Kuzi's got his head fakes in, and, you know, you want to give him a little bit of space when he's doing that and let him kind of set his play up first and then kind of read off of that. And, um, you know, that's kind of the same thing you would do when you're playing with a Kucherov, right? You don't want to crowd him. You want to try to give him time and space and and let them kind of set up what they're formulated in their head, right? So little things like that that you just kind of learn by skating with guys a handful of times. And and fortunately, we've kind of gone through that learning curve. And then, you know, now hopefully we can hit the ground running. (laughs)
0: You played with a couple of different teams over the last couple of years. You got you got to be used to acclimating into new environments,
3: then, eh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the moving part always always stinks. It's never yeah. easy, but uh, you know, once you get past the move, you know, for the most part in this league, we got a lot of really really great guys, really great people. So, um, you know, there's I haven't played with a ton of guys on this team before. I played with Seuss in Minnesota. I play with Sheldon Drys in in Colorado. But you know, you get here, you meet the guys, you spend time with them. And uh, you know everybody's great. Everybody's welcoming. Just trying to assimilate as quick as you can into that culture and and, and earn some trust and, and go from there. What's the uh, what's the scouting report on Seuss? He's good. You guys like him? Yeah, yeah. He's big. He's long. You know, he's lanky. Moves well. Moves well for his size. You know, he's he's a defense first guy. Yeah, certainly. But he's also got some good offensive instincts, and he's not afraid to get up in the play. He can score goals. And you know, not he's gonna like score twenty. He's not gonna be Quinn Hughes out there, but. Yeah. You know, it, he picks his spots well. He's he's a good player. He's my partner almost a full year. We played together in Minnesota, and uh, he played left side. I played the right side, and he was he was really really good. That shot can be a real threat in the, off the offensive
1: zone, can it? The shot he has, like yes. is he in the offensive zone, it can really yes. be a threat, especially yes. if he plays offside at times. I mean, you know if he can get
3: that, yeah, shot yeah, that. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like people always say, oh, left hand is on the left, right say the right, and you know that is true. At in some instances, things are easier, but also things are a little bit harder, right? You know, if you're the left, yeah, on the left point in the zone, you're kind of dragging it with your back to half the ice, right? A lot of times you open the hips up, you kind of get across and that's fine, but you know, if you're left, yeah, on the right side, you're taking it, you're on your forehand you can see the whole zone, right? Um, you know, so there are positives and negatives to that, and like you said, his shot is sticks so long, he can whip that thing quick, he's got a nice little pull on that too, he can get shots through uh, he's a good player, I think you guys really like him.
0: So you've been with Minnesota, Carolina, Tampa the last three years. That's you know three teams that are pretty much in the playoffs every year. This club trying to get to that point where it's a yearly playoff team. What is it that kind of separates those teams that kind of know they're going to be there from the team that's trying to get there?
3: Yeah, Um, I've been fortunate throughout my career. You know, on top of those teams you just said, you know, I was in Pittsburgh, then Colorado, and or Colorado then Pittsburgh, and then then uh, St. Louis going back right. So. I've been fortunate enough to bet on playoff teams my entire career and there's a very definite feel to a team that has not only made the playoffs consistently but won in the playoffs. There's a confidence, there's a a stick-to-itiveness that where they're confident that if they do continue to stick to their game over time, they will win more often than they will not win, right? And that's really what it is in a seven-game series, right? You need to win four games out of seven. So it's there's a very thin margin of error, but if you know that if you do your job and do it really freaking well, and you win six percent of the battles, and you win 60% of the games, you start winning series, yeah. right? And um, there's a certain confidence there, and that's what I think we've got to build here, right? I think a lot of times, especially with the market that we're in, with the meat that we're in, no offense, but there's a there's a magnifying glass, yeah. right? And it's like, oh, they lost the first two games. Like, oh, well, another year, write it off already. You're like, whoa, there's 80 games left. There's a lot of time, and I think yeah. that... There's uh that can wear on guys mentally a little bit, right? And there, we just need to build a confidence in our game, and our teammates, and our ability to be resilient over time, right? There's ebbs and flows to the year, uh, all season long. There's ebbs and flows. So the, uh, as as best as we can, you know, kind of just consistently just do our job and just keep putting a good product out there, then we'll we'll win a lot of hockey games. And I think that's where we start to build that confidence as we go. Well, it's kind of like the chicken or the egg a little
1: bit. You mentioned the teams that have success that can get through those things. But how do you build up the type of confidence that you can have the stick-to-itiveness that, okay, we lost two in a row, but our process has been good. Let's continue doing what we have to do, shift in and shift out. And even if we lose, this will help us. Like, how do you get to that
3: point when you haven't had the success banked yet? It's a great question. And I think I have a really easy answer for you. And that's by losing. I think when you lose and you lose a lot, you get pissed off and you get fed up with it and you say all right whatever i need to do to make sure that this stops happening like i'm gonna do it and that's where you start to say okay i'm gonna sacrifice i'm gonna do whatever it takes right and then you win a couple games you're like oh okay like we can do this like we gotta we this is a pattern of how we do it now we just gotta stick to that right and then you know you start winning enough times over months over years and that's like okay i know the pattern it's just it's pattern recognition over and over and over right and um a lot of times it takes teams to lose to win, right? They need to learn how to win by losing. You look at Washington, you look at I mean, there are so many teams that have gone through this. I mean, Tampa Bay, right? I mean, arguably one of the best teams over the past decade. Like they had a lot of losses. And yeah. With a, with some recency bias right now, you're like, Oh wow, they're great. They win all the time. Well, for eight years before that, they had a heartbreakers year after year after year after year. After year right? So, um, it's very easy to have a very kind of myopic view of a team and, and, and of the past few years when, you know, for a decade, the Vancouver Canucks were one of the best teams in the league yeah. every single year, yeah. right? So I think it's so easy to, to just get negative and just jump on it and, and just grind down. But there's, I think there's a lot of good players here. I think there's, there's a very nice mentality going into this, a, a very beneficial mentality. So before we let you go, just a quick one. And hey, You've been great with your time. Playing with Philip Peronik today. What was that like? That oh, was great. It was great. I'm I'm from Michigan, and you know, my dad and I were talking a couple of days ago, and we were talking about the roster. Right. and He's like, "Oh, Quinn Hughes, he's really good." I'm like, "Yeah, he's he is really good." And he's like, "Who else do you have?" I'd oh, Yeah, he's really good. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, and we got Philip Prodick. He's like, wait, what? You do? He's like, he was my favorite player on the Red Wings. He was so good. And I was telling Phil that today. Um, and it was, uh, you know, my dad was right. He's a, he's a heck of a player. I mean, getting to skate with them the past couple of weeks and skate out there today, he's, you know, he's, he plays hard. He plays strong defensively, but he can skate. He can create great shot. He can run a power play. You know, it's, he, he's he's a very complete player and, and one that I think is underrated across the league with how with how good he is. So it was a treat. Hopefully we get some more of that. But, you know, whatever the pairs end up being, you know, we're probably going to play with a lot of guys this year. But it was it was a treat today. So. Ian, uh, we really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks. I uh, so hope else. you don't get sick of us. Uh, no, not nice at all. Here. Looking forward to doing this more often. So. <laughs> thanks a lot. All right, fellas.
0: Cole joining us uh, here on Canucks Central. That was from earlier today, day one of training camp. Continues to be engaging and... Really thoughtful on, you know, the steps this team can take to getting over the hump, Sat, which is a major topic of conversation, right? In the way, like this is sort of the thing that the team has struggled with in the past, the stick Yes. When things started to go wrong you'd start to see guys branching away, trying to do their own thing, trying to do too much on their own, trying to create something when there isn't something there. And that causes all kinds of problems for you all over the ice. And that's something we'll have to keep watching because, look, it's not going to go brilliantly to start the season. They got a pretty tough schedule out of the gate, some different question marks there. But – how do you respond to any sort of how do you respond to any sort of losing streak or bad things happening on the ice? any sort of issues that may pop up? How does this team respond?:
1: What is your natural state that you revert to in, in crisis? Yeah, and you have to create, like Ian Cole mentioned, the habit and the repetition of always doing the same thing. And, yes, from time to time it, it veers one way or another a little bit, but you never break away from it completely. And to the point you made, how often did, did they just break away from what they were doing completely, right? And you started seeing them not play as a five-man unit. You start seeing more distance between the players. Bigger gaps were being built out. Guys were trying to do other people's jobs. That's what I'm really curious about because I don't care – how locked in these guys are going to be. They're going to hit a rough patch at some point. It's an yeah. 82-game season. Best, Even the best teams have rough patches. How do you handle that rough patch? And that's going to be the real test, I think, for has this team grown? Mm-hmm. And we hope to get off to a good start. And we hope they're able to overcome these things. But because we haven't seen it yet, that's a big question mark. They're all saying the right things. Yeah. you know, And they have the right guys in who weren't here before who can really imp- impart that and impress that like Ian Cole.
0: But it's a matter of doing it, right? It is a matter of doing it. It's uh, going to be fascinating to see how Ian Cole impacts this roster. Was really good for the Tampa Bay Lightning in Tufts last year against other teams' top competition. Played alongside Eric Chernak uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And is uh, somebody, as you well know, we're going to enjoy talking to this year. The next interview is Phil DiGiuseppe. And uh, I've been getting the gears all day, thanks to Brendan Batchelor, who tweeted out the picture where I appear to be blushing as Phil DiGiuseppe and I uh, reminisce about the old neighborhood, I guess you could say. Man, <laughs>
1: reminiscing isn't the, isn't, the, isn't the right word. I mean, you guys were waxing poetic about... You know the overlap in your past, and you know talking about the Italian community and everything. I mean, I really wish that we were recording that entire discussion, and yeah. and, and maybe Phil wouldn't want it to come out because it was like a really candid discussion. Yeah. But I've never seen a player and a member of the media essentially fall in love at first sight. <laughs> it was man, like calling it a bromance isn't enough. I mean, that was that was something. Like I I was very impressed by how you. You and PDG really seem like kindred spirits.
0: Uh, it's it's a, a bond from the uh, Italian folk, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah, I'd say. Uh, now we finally got uh, confirmation on the proper pronunciation of his name, which he admits he doesn't even do himself. So, <laughs> Phil DiGiuseppe is the ultimately correct way, but doesn't have to be the way you say it, as even he goes with the Anglo-sized version without further ado here is phil di giuseppe on canuck central dan richo TR shaw sitting tableside now with uh, phil di giuseppe thanks for joining us phil how are you doing i'm good it's a
2: pleasure being on here guys uh so here, hear it? how he said your name is that cool or like That's how you say it i don't know he always says it. i can't even say it though <laughs> i have a hard time getting it out so i appreciate when people get it right
0: people are always giving me the gears for doing it but it's just like to me it's natural right giuseppe
2: it's easy to say, but you put a DI in front of it and everybody goes squirrely. <laughs> so I've heard it all. Yeah, I'm sure you have. How was uh, How was your summer? It was good. I had a baby girl at the end of the year last year, so it was a little bit different of a summer, yeah. but not as much golf. But yeah. uh, it was basically training and then training to be a dad. Yeah. So I'm sure your parents well, are happy to have some grandkids around too. Oh, so, you know how it is. <laughs> My dad always wanted a girl. He got yeah. two boys, so... Um, He's loving it. My mom loves it. So uh, it's been a special time. You've been uh, you've been here with this
0: organization now for a few years. So you you kind of feel a little bit more settled in your career, and especially with the way last season ended, you feel like you got a good runway going into this season.
2: Yeah, obviously there's more confidence going into this year than in years past. But uh, you know you know all the guys now. First year it's always tough. I mean I've been in a number of different organizations, but it's always weird walking in and you gotta you know get to know guys and so. Um, it's nice to you know everybody. I know everybody at Avisford, Vancouver, so it's uh fun being around the rank. And I clearly there's more predictability too with how the team wants to play and also the role that you played and how
1: does that fit in, especially with the coach and knowing the expectations.
2: I think role's the biggest thing. It's you know, when you come into the league, you're just trying to score goals. Everybody wants to score goals, yeah. which is yeah. the best thing to do. It's right? Um, at the end of the day you gotta find a role and, and you gotta, you know, play that role to a T and um, establish yourself as a, a quality player. Um then I thought I got a good opportunity last year, uh carved out a bit of a role. So um like I said about conference wise, um I have I think it's a lot better than the years past. What's that how do you view your role on the team? And what is that? Uh I mean when I came up, I was on the fourth line, you know, obviously played defensively sound, get the puck in, try to change momentum if the game's going the other way. Um, and then when I was playing with Millsy and Bess, I think I called momentum well because you know, I was hard on the forecheck, holding on to pucks, you know, reliable with a puck, defensively sound. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it made my game, it was easier for me to go into games just because I knew what they were going to do and I think they knew what I was going to bring. So um, it was easy for me. And one of the things that you had a lot of success doing, and the coaching staff talks about a
1: lot, is being good on the wall. And how did you develop that? Not only the, the tenacity, but finding a way to be effective, that only shield the puck to come away with it oftentimes.
2: I think the number one thing is the whole game is a bunch of these little battles. Um, and when you're younger, at least when I was younger, you don't really appreciate those as much. Um, but they all add up, and um, you know, at the end of the day, like I said in the past like whoever wins most of those battles are going to usually win the game. So I think that's an easy way if you're not scoring or you know if things aren't going your way is to lock in on on those little details and then, you know, the rest of it just comes. So I think for me, I just try to focus on anytime there's a wall battle, face off, you just try to win that battle and um, you know, the play just happens. Coach loves his wall guys, right? You
0: just got to be that wall guy for him. Go through the wall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how is it like with with Tocket system? Is it has it been a good fit for you? Do you find that you know it's easier for you to? I to think match? so.
2: I I do well more with structure, um, and that's one thing. When he came in, um, he tried to implement the structure he did, um, and then I think it's easier for guys to play because it's mm-hmm. more predictable. Defense know where offense going to be. Everybody's on the same page. So um, for me personally, I I don't like run running gun. Yeah. So. I like that. Well, I Defensive mean, hockey, let's go. I mean, I'm all for having mean, <laughs> Well, you need some offense. Yeah, no, Predictability, no. predictable hockey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you can add some flair. I mean, that's no. what wins consistently in the league, right? Yeah. The teams that are able to do that, they, they have, tend to have more success Less over the yeah, Maybe not as fancy, but um, that's the way to get it done in the long run. What well, This is also like, what, your third training camp here with the this, team now?
1: This will be my third, yes. third training camp. How different does the vibe kind of seem in terms of preparation the players have just how everything is they don't have to compare and contrast but
2: does it feel different in camp this time around i think everyone's excited to get yeah. the year going obviously the way the year ended didn't make the playoffs but mm-hmm. there was a good run there and um i think most of the team is playing well so i think guys want to get back into that um and i don't think there's as much like, I don't have any social media or anything. So <laughs> good. That's, but I hear things, and yeah. it doesn't seem like there's as much drama as there been in the yeah. past. So, how much that affects guys, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have anything, so I can't get affected. But um, I guess it just depends on the players. Phil, we really appreciate your time. Al Gudi on the the new addition to the Thank family, you. and we'll talk
0: soon. Thank you. There is uh, Phil DiGiuseppe <laughs> joining us here on uh, Canuck Central.
1: Fantastic chat. Fantastic. Like, again, I mean, hey, Josh. You're gonna have to uh, create. You have to have to get that video out of because we do have. I think we have uh, video footage of PDG and uh, Dan Riccio. Like we do. Chop it, it get that falling in love. Can you put that out there at some
0: point? Or hopefully, what? hopefully. Right. You guys are making way too much of this. I don't okay.
1: know, man. I don't think I am. I mean, I saw the way you guys are looking at each other.
0: There's a there's a moment in the video where you guys are just laughing with each oh, other, <laughs> and it's like, oh my goodness.
1: Find someone to share a laugh with. The way I don't he's know. Share a laugh like together. I'm engaged, and I don't know if I like my fiance. that much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just
0: kidding. <laughs> Hopefully she's not listening. She's not, yeah. No,
1: he definitely loves her more, but yeah,
0: That's <laughs> it's very true. Um I, I think I've done more for like Woodbridge tourism than anybody <laughs> on the face of the earth like never mind Steve Eminger or Andrew Cogliano, like any of these guys that played wow. or grew up in Woodbridge. The but, Steve uh, Eminger. Uh, I know. that's a way back playback, wow. I guess you could say. Uh all right. Canucks Central continues. We'll be joined by Brendan Batchelor. His takeaways from day one of camp next on Sportsnet 650.